Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Mark, and uh, hopefully you are having a nice start to your Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, hopefully that you've made plans to be able to come back tonight, hopefully participate in the... Is that me? Are we going to be okay? Because that will drive me crazy. <laughs> yeah, really? Okay. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully you made plans uh, to come back and be with us this evening. Um, should be a lot of fun. And uh, I've kind of been a braggart the past two years about how I'm going to win, and I haven't. So I'm just going to kind of maybe not say how I'm going to win tonight. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, really. So I made some chili last night, though, and I think it's going to be really good. Uh, so it'll be good. So, hey, we are in a, in a series called Revolution, and this is the fifth week of it. And basically what we're talking about is hopefully having a paradigm shift of how we look at church, that church uh, no longer means to us, or when we hear the word church, we no longer have the image of a building come into our, our minds or a, a particular hour on Sunday that we gather, but that we have a new perspective of what that is, that we actually see ourselves as the church, as God's agents, as God's ambassadors here on earth. And we used Revolution 1 because just the meaning of the, of the word uh, means to either uh, have a revolution or a, or a complete abrupt change um, or a perspective change. But the neat thing about revolution is that the word love is in revolution. And love is a, is a term that is especially important to those of us who are followers of Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that God is love. And that the Bible also tells us that we were created in God's image. That when we love, we're actually uh, identifying with the very nature of God. And how, how can we, as the church, how can we as followers of Christ make that part of our DNA, that make that part of who we are in our everyday lives? We've talked about reaching out and, and loving not only our neighbors or our physical neighbors or our, our city, but loving the world. And we've also talked a lot about our hands and trying to determine whose hands are they. Did God give us these hands so we can hoard and pull in and serve ourselves? Or did God give us these hands for a much larger purpose? To be actually the tangible hand of Christ here in a lost and hurting world. That actually our hands may be the answer to another person's prayer. That we have been given a much higher calling. A much greater purpose than a lot of us have been living out and uh, or maybe even have realized. Now, we've been talking a lot about kind of uh, ministry type things and, and mobilization of the church. Today, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about actually just working. Uh, I believe in the 
past several decades that actually just working has, has lost its, its prestige. That, that we a lot of times think that work is something that we do for eight or ten hours a day and then we live our real life outside of that. But really, there's a high calling to work. There's a high calling to what we do and everything that we do, we can do as an act of worship. Uh, one show that I've uh, been able to watch a couple of times, my kids love it. Uh, it's called Dirty Jobs. Yeah. And uh, there's some nasty jobs out there, I got to tell you. But uh, the, the host of the show, um, which I'm convinced is John Bickley's twin, uh, uh, that, that uh, he... He takes so much joy and brings so much uh, honor that should be there to these jobs. And, and, how, and he, he puts into context how they, they fit into the rest of society. How without these dirty jobs, uh, we would all suffer. There is a high calling to our work. But there's actually uh, what I believe it could be even a calling to what we do no matter what we have been called or, or what our temporary job is. Uh, I've been uh, reading a book. Uh, it's called Saving the World at Work. And it's, it's interesting. It's definitely not written uh, from a biblical worldview. I don't think that the author, uh, Tim Sanders, is a follower of Christ. I don't know him, but... Um, it's not obvious in reading it, but the thing that really overwhelms me is I think he could get charged with plagiarism writing this book, and this is why. Just about every principle, not maybe the, the, the tangible outcome or, or the direction that he's going, but the, the principles that, that he uses in this book are straight out of the Bible. Like, it's just amazing like what, he, what he considers just doing the right thing, and he calls it the responsibility revolution, that, that how things have, have changed in business and are, are changing. And even though his, his reasoning is more just humanitarian, the ultimate reason is this is what God has put us on this planet to do. And one thing that I really enjoyed about, about the book is how he is talking about there's a, there's a new balance sheet or an emerging balance sheet uh, that, is, that is happening. See, when I was in business school, when I was getting my, my uh, bachelor's in, in marketing and, and uh, minor in finance, uh, one, I had one particular instructor uh, in one of my freshman classes who, who really hit home the purpose of business. In fact, he would, at, at just about, it seemed like at the end of every sentence when he was talking about something, like when we do something or why we do something, he would always add, at a profit. Basically, with business, and this is true now and, and will be in the future, you know, businesses need to make a Profit. They have to make a monetary profit. But the interesting thing is, 
it, uh, what what the author of Saving the World at, at Work uh, is talking about is a new type of balance sheet. Yes, obviously business has to make a profit. But are there other things? Can we widen that, that definition of profit um, greater than just monetary things? He also uh, talks about how American business has become very short-sighted. In fact, and this is true, that, that businesses operate in, quarter, in quarters, basically in 90 days. You know, and they do their quarterly reports and how much money did we make this quarter? And when you look at it, you say, okay, we made a lot, you know, this was our best quarter or this was not a very good quarter. And when you're driven by that is the measure, then obviously energies are going to be more short term of how much, how can we squeeze every last nickel out of you know, this quarter? How can we move stuff into this quarter or take things out of this quarter to make it seem more profitable? And as you well know, these kind of practices have, have led to all sorts of disasters, Enron, and, and all sorts of things. You know, all you got to do is open up your, your daily paper and seeing another company uh, either being charged with fraud or just short-term thinking uh, has totally missed where the market is moving. So what does it mean for us to, to expand our, our understanding of a new balance sheet? What does it look like and what is our, what do we, how do we participate in that? Well, I think that, that the principles that he's talking about are coming straight from Scripture. And, and, and unfortunately, it seems that, that many of us who are followers of Christ um, or Christians have been lulled into this kind of like, well, I go to work, I get my paycheck and I do what I need to do, and then I go out and do, you know, and then I go and serve Christ outside of that. But what he's saying and what I'm saying in, in our context is that the, there is no separation. That, that, that profit is much larger than, than just money, but who have we helped? There's a human element of it in the long term. As uh, one example, and, and this has just been my ongoing learning, and, and I'm almost embarrassed about it now. In fact, I am embarrassed about it now, but we're all on a journey, and we all uh, learn along the way. When we first started Red Eye here, uh, um, when we were looking for which coffee that we were going to purchase, uh, I was talking with, uh, with, with somebody, and, and they suggested fair trade coffee, and, and, and I didn't really understand it at the time, and uh, basically in my mindset was, well, which, which, which one do we get the best quality coffee for the cheapest price? Because, you know, which one is that? And he says, well, that's, you know, non, you know, it's just, you know, regular, you know, market coffee that you can go out and get in the commodity. So in my thinking, in, in my training, I looked at that and said, okay, great. Let's get this commodity for the cheapest possible, you know, great quality, but, but the least expensive, um, at least monetarily wise. And then any 
uh, proceeds in, in our, our language above and beyond that, we will be able to, as a church, direct that toward the, the, the efforts that we hold valuable. Well, I, we went that way for a while, and uh, it's been several years since we, we uh, did something different, but there was a, there was a change. We, we stopped buying the, the, the best quality at the cheapest price, we, uh, and the and the bottom line kind of mentality, because uh, I started to investigate it, and I got to go to Guatemala, and I actually got to uh, visit with farmers, and uh, actually got to pick beans and in, in, uh, next to uh, children and and things like that, which is it's very hard work. And learned about kind of the, the market of coffee and how it's done. You see, uh, farmers, much to my surprise, in, in Guatemala, and not even in the city, but out where, you know, the rural areas of Guatemala. Uh, this may shock you, but they, they don't have access to knowing even what the market is for their commodity. In fact, I didn't find one farmer in Guatemala who had an iPhone. He had no way of going on there. And even if he had an iPhone, I don't, probably wouldn't have had internet connection so he could find out the commodity. And what has happened is because there's this information gap between the farmers and what they can find out, which is readily available to us, any one of us right here as we're sitting you know, could yell out and let me know what the futures are on coffee. They don't have that. So what has happened is a whole sub-industry has risen up, um, and they call them coyotes. And these, these are people who come in, and they may know that the market price for their coffee is $100, but knowing that they don't know any difference or they need money right then, they'll offer them $25. And what happens is that it perpetuates this cycle, that they, they are kept to a level, almost, almost to a, a level of, of having to exist as, as maybe an animal would who doesn't store food, that, that, that basically exists day in and day out. And, and then their children are taken out of school uh, so they can work the farm, so they can just scrape a little bit more and get a little bit more money so they can just make it one more day, just living in a survivalist mentality. You see, as I, as I looked at that and, and, and realized, you know what? The profit, the margin, the, the, the balance sheet, especially for us who are followers of Christ, it wasn't making a lot of sense. Because we've looked in Scripture, and Scripture has told us that we are meant to be the, the voice for those who have no voice, that we are meant to bring justice to the oppressed. And how can we knowingly participate in practices that don't allow people ever to think outside of their tangible needs and ever to be able to explore the opportunity to engage in having a relationship with their creator. 
You see, implicitly or explicitly, when, when we, we buy things that we know are unjust, that, that we are perpetuating a cycle. So to talk about this today, I was like, you know, I want us to look beyond just the, the specific examples that I'm going to use, but hopefully I'm going to spark some creativity in your minds of thinking, you know what, in my workplace, how can I make a difference? I was talking with uh, someone who goes here who has done something like this, that, that they work in a basically a liquidating house and failed businesses for one reason or another, uh, that they're in charge of selling their assets and their responsibility is to the stockholders and, and things like that to try to, you know, that people's life savings were in these businesses, but they try to uh, redeem or get as much money back for, for those people, which is a noble cause, but he was telling me Sometimes they come across stuff that they just they can't sell. They have value, but they cannot sell them. And his example was that there was one company that went out of business and they were liquidating their assets and they had water bottles with their logo, their branding on it. And they also had uh, like a hand sanitizer things with their logo on it. He's like, nobody wanted to buy that. So... Instead of just throwing it away or destroying it or something like that, you know, we, we try to find places that, you know, and people that need clean water who can't have clean water, disaster relief and kind of these kind of things too. You know, and just that's one simple example of just being aware of like the practice used to be, you know, just give it away to just whoever wants it, to the employees or, or to say, you know what, I'm going to use this to leverage it. And this is the responsibility revolution that I hopefully is going on, but it should be led by those of us who identify ourselves with Jesus Christ. You see, in Isaiah chapter 46, basically the paradigm up to now is going to be explained here. Isaiah says this, Some people pour out their silver and gold, and hire a craftsman to make a god from it. Then they bow down and worship it. They carry it around on their shoulders, and when they set it down, it stays there. It cannot even move. And when somebody prays to it, there is no answer. It has no power to get anyone out of trouble. Well, when I read this, I, I looked at this uh, Isaiah passage, and not a lot has changed in, in the past you know, few thousand years, has it? And let me take it from out of this context and, and have you look at it in, in our context. It says, some people pour out their silver and gold to hire a craftsman to make a god from it. Then they bow down and worship it. You know, basically, somebody 
in this context had to you know, work and spend their life to accumulate all of this stuff. Essentially, their hands, and they're, they're trying to bring in and, and get as much gold and silver that they can. But the, the ironic thing, the funny thing is that, that they've earned all this money and what it, they, they still have this, this God-shaped void in their life, right? They, they, they know that they're missing something. So what do they do? He, he hires someone to make him something that he can worship. I mean, I just, I think about that in our context. How many of us, and I was on this path, how many of us work hard and we try to accumulate money? And what do we do with that money? We, we pay bills. And what are the bills for? I mean, things that we want, some things that we desire. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to mention some examples here. None of these things are wrong in and of themselves. But it's really how we look at it. Some of us think about, you know, how much money do I make? And then how do I... How do I build something that is going to fulfill me? And, and, and we end up spending our time and our resources to erect monuments or, or erect, a, erect a life that, you know, quite frankly, we were never designed to, to live in or have. Some people, uh, our, our mentality and the, and, the, and the track that we are on, that we repeat again and again, is every time we make a little bit more, then we look and see how I'm going to spend some more. And we end up serving or worshiping those things that, that we have created with our hands. And the funny thing is, in Isaiah's context, the, the Israelites were building these things and they would have to move them around and, you know, these idols and things like this. And then other people started praying to it. How much of that is true? I mean, think about the people that we idolize in our culture. I mean, we idolize the rich and the, and the powerful, that they have, they have created these, these empires and these idols, and, and we have seen them, and we have bowed down and, and worshipped them and given our lives to these types of things. And then God just says this, but when someone prays to it, there is no answer. It has no power to get anyone out of trouble. Nothing. You know, the, we talked about addictions last week, and, and you know, addictions just ha have this perpetuating cycle that they start to control us. In one of my favorite movies, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, uh, Jack uh, played the character of a uh, kind of a con man prisoner life you know guy and and he figured a way to get out of jail and go to to a uh, mental hospital and while he was there uh, the lessons that he was learning from different people but he he befriended a, a Native American uh, which they without much political correctness called him chief and uh, Chief didn't like to speak at all. In fact, he didn't speak at all, but Jack would just sit and talk with them. And, 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 and eventually, one day, Chief opens up to him and actually starts speaking. He was like shocked. Oh, I thought you couldn't speak. And he's like, yeah, that's what everybody thinks. And he said, tell me your story. 
So Chief started telling a story about, about his dad and how his dad became addicted to alcohol and how his dad eventually, every time that he picked up the bottle and drank, he wasn't taking from it, but it was taking from him. And the thing with addiction is that, that, that it doesn't just stop with you. It starts to destroy everyone around you. And addiction doesn't always have to be just an overt bad thing like gambling or porn or alcohol or drugs or anything like that. It can a lot of times be stuff that our culture celebrates like money and power and fame and all of these kind of things. And as we drive and we give ourselves to these things that we idolize them and we worship them. But these things do not answer anyone's prayers. That is reserved for God. And we talked about last week uh, the, the realization that when a child in Benin is praying for deliverance or a single mother is praying in Guatemala for assistance or someone in Frenchtown is, is praying for an opportunity that, that God gives us the opportunity to be his agents, to actually be the answer to those prayers. But we miss it if we get into this cycle of perpetuating how much can we earn, how much can we take, how much can we build and we end up worshiping it, and others see it and start worshiping that. And no one's prayers, or we miss the opportunity to be the answer to that person's prayer. So what, what is the way that God has called us? What is our responsibility as followers of Christ? Well, Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 says this, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does God require of us as His followers? In a simple statement, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I mean, there's just this idea that, you know what, God has called us to something larger, to so, uh, a higher purpose, to be aware that, you know what, our jobs are not our lives. They are an extension of the life that God has given us, entrusted us to be his ambassador here on earth. One verse that talks about to act justly in, in Psalms in chapter 82. The psalmist says, Give fair judgment to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Justice. Now, we are the agents of justice. 
evil prevails when good people do nothing. There is no reason that child trafficking should go unchecked in Benin. There's no reason that there should there the the systems are are broken down in in Guatemala that we have people on the ground who you know what at the very least could be the answer to one child's prayer or the answer to one mother's prayer you know we don't have to change the whole world in one foul swoop but we our call to start somewhere and start doing something. And God has called us to be and act justly. He also has called us to love mercy. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 19 through 21, it says this, When you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. When you beat the olives from your olive tree, don't go over the boughs twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. When you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, orphans, and windows. What God is saying here is, look, you need a new balance sheet. That there are things in our workplace, and I'm, you don't need to be the president or you don't, of a company, or you don't need to be a higher up to, to start implementing changes. You see... The old balance sheet is that of mere dollars and cents. But what God is saying here is, you know what? There's some things in every company, in every organization that isn't going to make a whole lot of difference to your corporation and with a, a little bit of forethought that you can use this to show mercy, that you can use this to live out your faith in the marketplace. I mean, one of those things was, you know, just the water bottle things. Instead of just letting them sit around in crates and eventually go bad, actually looking for people who could actually use them, who want water or need water and don't really care what the water bottle says. You know, I've sat in enough meetings where there's piles of donuts and bagels and and muffins and I look around the room and none of us need another bagel muffin or donut and a lot of times those are just left over and they're just thrown away and this is just an example and I don't even know how this would work but maybe just saying you know what it's not going to make any difference to the company, if I put a little thought in and go to my boss and say, hey, I go to these meetings and we have leftover food, what would you think about me bagging up the food and then after work I'll, I'll drop it off at the food, local food shelter? 
you know, you, you may think, well, that's a, that's a small thing. Who really cares? The person who doesn't have dinner cares. The, the child who is learning development is, is being retarded because they don't have enough nutrition cares. You know what? The people watching care. And evil persists, and, and even just things that are not the best persist because we start to think it's not my responsibility. But God here is saying, look, the Lord requires you to act justly. The Lord requires you to love mercy, and the Lord requires you to be humble. You think it can never happen to you? You think I, I work hard and, and I make my own way? Tell that to the people who lived in the Great Depression. You're going to tell me that all of those people were just lazy? You know what? Sometimes circumstances out of our control land us in bad situations. And God has given us the responsibility to think outside of the box. And I just love this verse in Deuteronomy. It's not that big of a call. It's not that big of a challenge. All God is saying is, look, if you have a little bit left over, if you, know, you go and you harvest all the, all the olives off your tree, don't spend the time and energy to go and make sure you get every single last one. Even though that may make your old balance sheet look a little bit better in the, in the eternal economy, that's a net loss. And there's things in every organization that really don't matter to the organization that would, could matter a whole lot to someone who God loves. And then finally, walk humbly. Again, you know, there's times in each one of our lives that we either come from or will be in need. And I love at the end of this scripture in Deuteronomy in verse 22, God says, remember, you were slaves in the land of Egypt. That is why I'm giving you this command. Basically, God is saying, look, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. Your poverty and your need was outside of your control. You couldn't work a little bit harder or do something a little bit different. That You were totally dependent on me and those who were my agents Those who were going to be the answer to your prayers. See, there's a responsibility revolution going on. Yes, businesses have to make a monetary profit, but at what cost? And what if each and every one of us 
started being aware and started saying, you know what, when I clock into work, I'm not clocking out of being a follower of Christ. That it's one and the same and that God has given me 40, 50, 60 hours a week to be aware and to be His change agent being funded by other means. It's a win-win for everyone. We just have to take responsibility for what God has given us responsibility to do. Let's pray. Dear God, just uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to have a revolution of how we think about things. God, I just pray that we, as we tomorrow go back to our jobs, that we will see that as an opportunity to be ambassadors of you. That we will be aware of things that may not matter to the organization that we work for, but can make a huge difference in other people's lives. God, I just pray for those decision makers as some of these suggestions are made, that they will be open to it, that they can see the bigger picture. God, I just uh, pray that we will never think something is too small or insignificant that we just don't bother doing it. That we will realize that you can take even a mustard seed and change it into something great. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Wow.